And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. (laughs) I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. You're listening to the Leaf Report Podcast with Jonas Siegel and James Myrtle. All right, James, we're recording this on a Monday, Election Day. We won't talk politics even though both of us would love to talk politics. So let's just start, let's just get right into it. Um, I think it's pretty apparent even after a month uh, that this is a different team with Mike Babcock. Uh, If I asked you one thing that stood out most about what's different about the Maple Leafs with Mike Babcock as opposed to Randy Carlisle, uh, what would it be? I think the obvious one is, is defensive positioning and forecheck and things like that. I mean, it just, it seems like they're involved in the play all the time and the games are close other than, other than the Detroit game, which got away from them a little bit. So, you know, I think with the roster they have, them being in a lot of games is good, but, you know, they're not going to get kind of the positive attention until they do start winning some more games. So, you know, at this point, five games in, I think this could go either way. Either they do start winning some of these close games or, or they don't. And, uh, they, they sink to the bottom of the standings. But the thing I've seen through, through training camp through five games, I think they're capable of winning more games than they have so far. And uh, what they really need is someone to, to break out offensively because they're not, they're not scoring enough. See, to me, it doesn't really even matter if they win games. Like, I, don't, I think we both know that's not what their season is about. Right. Uh, and I think you're right. Like, you look offensively so far um, you, at some of the team leaders offensively. It's, it's none of the guys you'd expect. None of the Bozaks, the Van Riemsdyks, Lupuls, Kadri, none of those guys has really broken out offensively. But to me, it's, it's, you know, big things. Like you look at how much more they're possessing the puck, which means they're defending less. Like a lot of the things that we thought would happen with this team have already happened. And granted, it's a really small sample size, but you can see the change. Like you can see, to me, what's apparent is how much quicker, you know, they move the puck out of their zone, you know, and, and you can see what they're talking about. Like a lot of the time players have told me, you know, about playing as a five-man unit. And you hear that a lot, but you can actually see what they're trying to do. Like, I talked to Daniel Winnick about this, and he said it it almost looks like they're all in a string and they're all kind of moving in the same directions at once, if that makes sense. But, like, a, from a big-picture view, you can already see a difference to me, you know, 
the upgrading coach from Carlisle to Babcock. It's about being organized. You know, yeah. one thing that I've, I've spotted early is that other than, I mean, against the Leafs, they, they looked decent, but I, I think Detroit's struggling a little bit, and I wonder if they're going to miss Babcock. You know, there was a lot of, it's so early that you're reading into a lot of games, but I know that the possession numbers for Detroit are way down, and I wonder if, if that's the influence there. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's about being very well organized, and I, this team was never that under Carlisle, ever. Uh, you know, it's, it, that, that was probably Carlisle's biggest weakness, you know, and uh, other than, and he was also alienating some players. And, you know, it's interesting that Randy Carlisle's name's in the mix now for, for there's, there's some coaches on the hot seat already early this season. It'll be so interesting to see if he lands somewhere and, and what the results are. You know, I think that, that people that have watched him a lot in Toronto can guess. But just the fact that Babcock could, as you said, change things so quickly shows the impact that a coach can have. And I think that people aren't really going to recognize that if their record is poor. But you and I, and I think some of the, the savvy people listening to us, I think we can recognize that there's, there's been a meaningful change there and that it's an important one, even if they're not winning right now. Well, and you can even go beyond um, you know, possession stats. You can just look at the way that he's using some of the players that he has. Like you looked in the past, and, and you and I both wrote and talked about this a lot. Like look at how they're using that quote-unquote top line. Like he looked in the past, and he would, Randy Carlisle would always match them against other top lines and they just get filled in you know in terms of the shot clock um, and they get scored on quite a bit you look now and you look at their zone starts and you look at their possession numbers and it's radically different like you I think you were you brought it up last year that that Carlisle should just use one defensive line against other top lines we've seen Mike Babcock do that like when you look at the the changes in usage uh, can you already spot big changes there as well yeah, for sure. I mean, it's Spalling and Winnick and whoever they decide to put on that wing. Lately, it's been Lupo, which is, I mean, some of the usage things that Babcock's done have been really, like, Komarov's been on a scoring line that is starting most of its shifts in the offensive zone. Some games it's been like 90% of the games yeah. in the offensive zone, which is, okay, that's kind of weird, but then it works, and you're like, okay, well, and then, like, Babcock explained that he wants to have a guy like Komarov there because he's a guy that kind of goes and gets the puck and then Bozak and, and JVR or, or Kadri's been on that line as well with the injury to Bozak, you know, they, they can capitalize. But if you think about it, I mean, if you're, this is kind of a cynical way to talk about it, but if you're trying to maximize the value of someone like, like Tyler Bozak, maybe playing him with 90% zone starts with James Van Riemsdyk and trying to, I mean, he wins a lot of face-offs. Maybe he yeah. wins a lot of draws, goes back to the defenseman, they get some zone time and they get some goals that way. I mean, it's, it's an interesting idea. I don't know necessarily that it's going to work, but based on the strengths and weaknesses of all the players they have, other than Lupo being on a checking line, I think that he's made some, some reasonably good bets. The problem is, like, so far that checking line has been producing goals. I mean, Dan Winnick... Uh, has probably been he's probably been the best forward i mean he's got yeah. the he's got the most points on the team he, he looks like i don't know what if he's done something differently he looks he looks even better than last year and i think he had a good year last year you know just such a hard worker the the only problem is that they're leading forward in ice time right now is nick spalling and yeah using, well and and sorry to interrupt but like babcock talked about it uh, i think it was last week he said sometimes the problem you get into with using those guys a lot uh, is, you know, they don't they don't contribute offensively. And right. you want them out there because they don't get scored on, uh, but they also don't help you offensively. And we saw that, you know, to a big detriment in the past when Randy Carlisle overused Jay McClement. 
Um, so continue anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I don't think you can reasonably expect that line to keep producing, but he's got Lupul on there now. You know, I, when they got Spalling, I thought it was just kind of a, a salary dump by the Penguins and that he wasn't going to play a big role on this team. I don't know if they saw something different there that, that I couldn't see, or this is just Spalling's the best fit for that role right now. I mean, he's not a good face-off guy, and you got him nope. playing your defensive. Well, I mean, obviously face-offs are overrated in the game and, and things like that. He's not traditionally been a very good possession player. It's it's a, I don't know. It's a really interesting line. It's not one I would have ever thought to construct. Lupul's not considered a very good defensive player either. But maybe within this structure, Spalling and Lupul can look a little bit better, and and Winnix can be one of the guys driving the bus. But it seems problematic to me to be playing that line as much as they are, and because I think the goals are going to dry up. So you know that that's one thing that stood out to me. But I mean, again, he doesn't have a ton of options on this roster, really. No, well, and it's going to be interesting to see how much ice time, you know, someone like Kadri gets. You know, we've always looked at that, you know, with him and Tyler Bozak, who's going to get those first opportunities. Uh, And obviously Bozak's been hurt lately, but prior to that, you know, it was still Tyler Bozak leaving the team in ice time, still getting prominent, you know, power play time and everything like that. Uh, So the ice time is going to be interesting to watch. I found it, um, you had suggested this, I know we talked about it before, that, the Leafs should use Dionphanov like he was used uh, in Calgary. And that's not in shutdown duties, not so much on the penalty kill. And we're starting to see that. You know, we're starting to see them use Morgan Riley, Matt Hunwick as the shutdown duo. Uh, Panuff's not killing as many penalties as he did in the past. Have you liked the approach that they've taken with Dionphanov so far? Yeah, I think he looks pretty good. You know, I think yeah. he's played, and I think having Gardner there is a good. I mean, that keeps them in the offensive zone a lot. I mean, one thing that people are down on Gardner for his his mistakes or, or airhead plays or whatever that people want to call them. I think uh, Bob McKenzie called it monkey brain. or <laughs> I think that was the, the term that he used that I liked. But the thing that Jake Gardner's always done really, really well is generated Corsi. I mean, he's been a very, very good possession player. He's been the, one of the least best possession players year after year after year. Mm-hmm. And I think if you play a guy like that, I mean, when Phaneuf had his success in Calgary, I think he was playing with Anders Ericsson. I think that that was his, his deep I partner. Wa- n- was it Anders Ericsson? I remember talking about this with him. I'm, I, I, the name is on the top of my tongue. He's an older. He was an older defenseman when Pinuk was there. Keep talking, and I'll find the guy's name. Adrian Coin. He played with a little bit as well. I mean, not a- he was playing with offense first guys. But I, to me, like Anders Eriksson, obviously not as good as Jake Garner, but the same kind of you know same kind of idea, like a more offense first. I I, I haven't looked at his numbers, so people are going to look at this while I'm talking and make fun of me. But I would guess that Anders Ericsson was a decent possession player. You know, that's the kind of guy you pair with Phaneuf. They spend more time in the offensive zone. You give him the offensive zone starts. You give him the power play time. And, you know, his big shot and his offensive instincts come through. Because I think that Phaneuf, you know, despite his age, despite everyone being down on him for getting beat to the outside in the defensive zone, which is fair, which does happen. And it does Mm -hmm. look like he's lost some speed. He's got good instincts in the offensive zone. And that's why he was able to generate 60 points one year. And that's why he got the big contract is that those offensive abilities and the failure of Ron Wilson and Randy Carlisle to see that he's so he's not so limited, but he is has limits defensively. He's not a great fit to put up against Crosby or, or Stamkos or whoever every night. Uh, and use him as as the kind of offensive weapon that he can be. You know, I think that that's really hurt this team. And now there are options because 
Mike Babcock feels a comfort with Morgan Riley and, and Matt Hunwick, who have had kind of mixed results so far, but you, I think that there's potential for those guys to grow grow into that role. Yeah, the guy I was thinking of, by the way, was Roman Hammerlick, but that was oh. more towards the end of his time okay. in Calgary. Right. But anyway, like... I, yeah, point, I was thinking of the Nor- the year that Phaneuf finished second in Norris voting to right. uh, Nick Lidstrom, which I think was his second year in the league. It was, yeah. That was quite a year. I think he had, let's see, he had 17 goals and six... No, uh, you're thinking year three, I think. Okay. Anyway. The, the year he had the huge No, point. sorry, second year. 17 yeah. goals, 60 points. Yeah, when he burst into the league, it was like, who's this guy? I remember everyone was talking about him, and he yeah. obviously had, he had that big world junior, and then Pierre Maguire yeah. was on the radio calling him a monster every day, and you know well, he. There's that, James, there's that highlight, the double Dion. <laughs> remember that with him walking with the swagger? Is that the one? No, it was like <laughs> it was a world junior game, and I think he hit two guys back to back, and Pierre and his trademark Pierre said like it's a double Dion. It was. Anyway, but yeah, but like he, to your he wanted to be the next Scott Stevens, and and he got a lot of hype coming into the league. It, the season he came into the year was the year that they really cracked down on power on penalties, and there were tons of power plays. There were like double the power plays that we have now, and he so he had that benefit the first couple of years, always being on the power play. His coach there, I think it was Keenan when he started. I think yeah, it I, was. I didn't I didn't look this stuff up, but it yeah, was you, Jim Playfair that second year. Okay, so you got. Yeah, and then, and then he played for Keenan, I think, potentially yeah. after that. Yeah, Keenan was actually his favorite coach. Like, if you talk to him about that, he loved playing for Mike Keenan. I think that some of those coaches understood better than the Toronto ones have how to use him, and I think what happened is that they brought him in, and they said, you're our number one defenseman. In the, I've, We've talked about this before, but they used him like, like he was Chris Pronger, and, and that's not what Phaneuf ever was. It's just kind of what he got hyped as. Well, what happened is, and in, in last year I think is a good case, they wanted to use him differently last year. Like they wanted to take some of the pressure off, cut back on his minutes, and they tried early. And I think what happened, the sense I got is, uh, they just looked around at their defense and said, like, who else are you going to use? Like he is your best defenseman. We've got these opposing top lines. Like who else are we going to use if not our best defenseman? Is the way that I've understood them to have thought about it. Yeah, um, and, but they and never so, made any effort to try and bring in anyone else. They never. Well, they their, did. Their, their solutions were people. Roby Da and trade Gunnarsson for Roman Polak because Gunnarsson was the problem, and you know it's it was it just like right. totally crazy stuff, you know. It's, well, and that's and, and James, you know what? Like when I think what happens in our market is people blame the players instead of looking at who has been put on the ice with those players and looking at management. And so people get really angry at, you know, and, and I'm not saying everyone because there are smart fans and smart fans, I think, understand this, but they look at Bill Castle and Dion Phaneuf and they say these guys are terrible. Instead of looking at the team that was put around them in the positions that the team was asking them to play in, like Dion Phaneuf in the on the right team is a good defenseman who helps you win, as is obviously Phil Kessel, you know, but like when, when the best player or when the second leading scorer in the Phil Kessel era is Tyler Bozak, like I'm sorry, but that's that's not good enough. You're not going to win anything, right? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's just a mini rant. <laughs> <laughs> you can keep going if you want. <laughs> no, I just it's just sometimes funny in our market. But anyway, so let's let's move on. Let's let's talk a little bit about the goaltending. Uh, it's at an interesting point. They do not have a number one. I think that's that's pretty clear. 
Um, if you're Mike Babcock, seeing what you've seen from Jonathan Bernier so far uh, in the preseason and then his first few starts this year, would you be concerned or do you just feel like you've got to give this time and keep playing him? It's so early. The only thing is that he he was crappy in preseason too, which is, mm-hmm. you know, there's starting to be a little bit bigger of a body of work. But there's a lot of, I mean, Bobrovsky and, and Columbus is uh, having a brutal start. This this does happen. Look the, around the league. A lot of guys are struggling. Yeah, it does. It does happen. I mean, goaltending is a funny thing, but let let's pretend that it does continue. I mean, if Bernie has just a brutal year, that's going to be really interesting. And he got the two year deal. Reimer's only, Reimer's going to be UFA coming up here. They're going to have a question, I think, of you know, as part of this rebuild, of what to do in goal if if Bernie is not the answer and. From what we've seen of him so far, it seems like Bernier is kind of an average starter in the NHL who can make some really bad gaffes. And for whatever reason, it feels like a lot of them come really early in the game. And for a team like the Leafs right now that is not going to score a lot of goals and you know does not have a lot of confidence in terms of generating offense, those early goals are just their death. You know, it's mm-hmm. you know it's it's really really tough. So it's so early that I don't want to condemn Bernier. But I think what Babcock should do is not anoint anyone right now, just in case that the Bernier continues to struggle. I mean, he he's caught in a tough place because he feels like he wants to keep giving Bernier the vote of confidence to build him up and to get him going. Um, and I think that that's that's what we're seeing. I I I think they're going to start Bernier against Buffalo. I don't know if you have, you were at practice today and I wasn't, so maybe you have different insight than me. But uh, be, it'll be awfully interesting if Reimer starts that game and plays well. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I think you kind of have to go back to Bernier just because, you know, Mike Babcock said he talked to Bernier about his first period struggles. Um, and, and I feel like if you kind of challenged him a little bit to improve upon that, you've got to give him an opportunity next game to kind of prove himself. Well, But, it, in, but it's in, difficult. Yeah. In fairness to him, he was really good after those two goals. Against really Pittsburgh. good. Yeah, really he good. was excellent. But, yeah. But, like, and maybe you can parse the numbers a little bit for me. Like, I, I ran all his first periods last year, uh, and he had a, a 9.06 save percentage in the first period, and I think it was 9.16 in the other two periods combined. So there was a drop-off, and we saw it a lot early in games. Like, he'd give up that first goal, and then he'd kind of settle in. It's obviously a mental thing. Um, and, and, I, and I think it's something you can get over. Uh, it's just when, uh, like, I don't know how you're supposed to handle this if you're Mike Babcock because you've got this other guy. You've talked about, you know, playing the guy who plays best. Right now, it's pretty even. But then you also have to consider the fact that he's got one year additional on his contract. He's the guy that you, the organization probably wants to, to pull ahead. But if he doesn't play well, what do you do? You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's kind of a difficult situation because you want him to do it, but you can't force it. And if he's not good enough, he's not good enough. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It, it, yeah, no, it's, it's, I think it's, it's turned into one of the more interesting storylines just because he hasn't played well. And the thing, too, is like you said, like, it's not like Reimer has been amazing. I, I would think no. that if, if Reimer had been amazing and, and really shut the door, I mean, that Ottawa game, if, he if they would have won that game outright and he would have only allowed two goals or something like that, you know, maybe we're having a different conversation and maybe Reimer does deserve that start uh, on Wednesday. But right now it's, it's a toss-up. And like you said, Bernie's got, he's got the contract. He's got value. I mean, if they're going to trade one of these guys tomorrow, Bernier has has more value. So 
You know, I, I think that the organization is looking at it as this season is, is kind of evaluation and asset management. And, and either way, they probably want Bernie to be playing more this year. Well, because it's a bad thing if he doesn't play well and he's got one more year at $4 million, not really good for the organization to have this $4 million goalie who might just be average. Like, that doesn't do them any good. You can't trade that contract. You'd almost just have to come back and play him again. You know right, what I mean? and hope that he has a good year, and then right, yeah, yeah. I think you know one of the things when they got Bernier is that there was a, basically he had played well in the AHL. He was a high drafted goalie who had this kind of pedigree, and everyone really liked him. He's a very very small goalie. He, he's he's very good technically. You know, it's it, it it would make sense to me if he if all he is is just an average guy. And then the question is, is, is that good enough? I mean, we can probably have a debate. I mean, with Jimmy Howard. Uh, better than average. I mean, Mike Babcock won a cup in Detroit with Chris Osgood. I mean, does the organization feel like a guy, I, I think Bernie is, what, 27 years old right now? Do yeah. they feel like that's a guy that can be part of the rebuild if that's what he is? If he's a, a 917 or a save percentage kind of goalie, that's what he's going to be in his career. Maybe that's enough. But, you know, it, it feels like a lot of money to pay for that, too. If he's But making... you know what? But, James, it's not enough. Like, if you're going to pay a goalie, he better be well above average because it's not worth it. Like, you know this. It's not worth it to give him – like, let's say he has a good year, I don't know, next year. It's not worth it to pay him in UFA a five-year deal for six or seven million. Oh, no. You know what I mean? Like, no. And that's the point. Like, I would only – even if he plays well, I still don't think it, it, it should – should make it a certainty that they sign him to a long-term deal. I'm just not sure you're going to get the value outside of, like, Lundqvist, Price, maybe Rene. Like, I'm not sure it makes sense in any scenario for them to commit to a goalie. So I om- you almost wonder if they've got time on their side because, they, you know, they I don't know, and it takes so long to develop goalies, too, so sometimes. So, yeah, you know, it's like I was going to say, maybe they should start really getting high-end prospects in with the Marlies and see if they can find another answer that can be a cheaper guy. But I don't know. I mean, you know, people are high on Sparks and Bebo down with the Marlies. I mean, maybe one of those guys is going to be in next year as the backup and can challenge Bernier. But that's. I think this organization, at least some of the people in the organization, understand that you don't want to overpay a goalie who's not giving you extraordinary results. So you either want to find a goalie that does give you extraordinary results or you don't want to pay a lot of money, and right now they're not really doing either. Yeah, but there's one guy who does seem to be inclined to pay goalies. Yeah. yeah. You know who I'm talking about? The GM. The GM. The GM doesn't <laughs> mind paying the goalie. And the GM even said this summer when they signed that two-year deal that who knows, you know, if Bernier comes in and has a really good year, maybe they start talking extension after year one, which is crazy. But, like, they went hard after Bernier in arbitration, though. I mean, I got a little bit of insight into what some of the stuff that was said, and it wasn't – I mean, I know it always is like that, but – you know, they it, it wasn't sugarcoating. You know, Lou Lamorello said some for a guy that had just joined the team. He had some pretty harsh criticism. So uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that that might become a story if Bernier struggles this season. That that that's playing into it. That, 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 well, do you know what's I, I weird though, James? Like I, I've been thinking about this a bit. Bernier and Reimer, despite the fact that it seems like Reimer has been here forever, they're basically the same age. Reimer's like five months older. What would happen, and there's no signs that this is going to happen because, you know, he's been basically the same as Bernier this year, and, and even dating back to last year, he was a bit worse. What would happen if Reimer had a really good year? Well, I think it's possible. I mean, the lockout year that Reimer had was excellent, and now I don't know 
if that was just an anomaly, if other teams have figured him out, because you talk to, you know, it's funny, uh, I I play beer league on Sundays and I, I, I drive with my goalie to the game and we talk about goalies all the time when we're driving. And he said, you know what, Reimer's style is just so bizarre. And the, the goalie on my team is pretty good. And he went, he was pretty relatively highly trained in, in the U.S. and did goalie schools and whatever. And he just said, Reimer's style is so bizarre. And I said, well, he didn't really have any goalie coaching until he was like 17 years old. And he said, and, and the, the guy on my team said, that makes sense. You know, that's kind of what he looks like. So maybe Reimer tops out as, as an NHL backup. And maybe that one year that uh, he, was, he was so good in the playoffs and then got blamed for, for the team's faults, you know, maybe maybe that was the pinnacle for him. I don't know. But this is such an important year for Reimer, too. I mean, he's got to be better than he has been so far if he's going to prove the critics wrong and prove that he can still be a number one. I, I, I guess I just asked because it would be a weird situation that, let's say he became the better goalie this year and he emerged as the quote-unquote number one. He's UFA at the end of the year. Bernie has got one year left. It would be like a really awkward scenario because you'd all of a sudden have probably people in the Toronto media saying, you've got to sign this guy. And, and I don't know. Anyway, that's just a stupid hypothetical. And you know how well, I hate hypotheticals. But they're like, rebuilding. I, so maybe you go with a Reimer Bebo tandem or, or, or Sparks. Right. Maybe, I guess the maybe. point is people think that Reimer is way, I, I think there's a perception that he's older and not whatever, but he's the same age as Bernier. He just doesn't have the pedigree that Bernier does of a first rounder. Well, I mean, you know, I like James Reimer as, the, as a guy more than, you know, as much as anybody, but his numbers last two years aren't good enough. So, you know, he But he, he for his career, to. James, they're like the same as Bernier's. Take a, a few percentage points. Like, they're not that different. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. I know what you're saying, and, and I think I agree. I'm just saying I, I feel like sometimes there's a perception that one is so much different from the other when the evidence, for the most part, I mean, there's not like technically you can probably you can make case uh, a case against Reimer, but when you look at the numbers, you look at age and everything like that, there's not really that much that separates them. I guess I what I'm think. saying is that Reimer needs a good year this year. I mean, of I course. don't. I, they if both he, do. If he has another year like the last two statistically, I'm not sure what happens when he goes UFA. I mean, I guess some team picks him up as a backup, and yeah. he doesn't he doesn't play a whole lot. But there's you know, there's been good goalies like that that have kind of just fallen through the cracks because you know, more teams are giving young guys starts. I mean, look at around the league at the the some of the backups. I mean, there's goalies that a lot of people haven't really heard of that are, are getting starts now, and it's become very, very, very competitive. So I just think this is a really important year for Reimer, whether or not it's to get a new contract in Toronto or somewhere else. I agree. And and I think that's, to me, that's the way it should go. I think I think the comparison that I've made, and I know you're not a big football guy, but what happened in the NFL is teams started, well, generally, uh, using more running backs and not relying on one guy because they found mm-hmm. that, you know, there were all these running backs who you didn't need to use high draft picks on that you could just pluck in there and they'd suddenly be good. Mm-hmm. And I think to me, like, that's what's going to happen with goaltending is there's the goaltending, the separation between, I don't know, the seventh best goalie and the 15th best goalie is probably not that much. So oh, you don't man, really need to pay, right? It's like the eighth best and the 20th best now. I mean, it's like, it's really the, – the thing that I hardly – I feel like hardly ever gets talked about with goaltending is that, like, if you go back, for, like, say, four years and look at who the best goalies were and you look at the best goalies this season or last season or whatever, it's, it, the turnover is so high. It, it okay, feels so like hang on. I'm going to pull it up. Keep talking. Just look up save percentage leaders for, say, four years ago. Like okay, whatever. ready? 
2011. Ready. This is the top 10 from 2011-2012. Number one, Brian Elliott, Corey Schneider, Mike Smith, Henrik Lundqvist, Jonathan Quick, Yarrow Halak, Pekka Rene, Kari Lettinen, Mika Kiprasov, and Jimmy Howard. So, you know, I mean, what, what is that? Okay, now, now hang on. Now, now let's circle two years later. Let's go to 2013-2014. Josh Harding, which doesn't really count because he didn't play a ton of games. Tuka Rask, Semyon Varlamov, Kerry Price, Anton Kudobin, Chad Johnson, Ben Bishop, Frederick Anderson, Sergei Bobrovsky, Jonathan Bernier. The point is, like, it, to your point, like, it fluctuates. Yeah, so that was so pretty much, much an entirely different list, wasn't it? Was exactly. Lundqvist was the only one on both lists? I mean, so there's obviously guys like Price and, and Lundqvist, and we talked about this, that, that give you that edge. But even, I mean, Tuka Rask has had a tough start of the season. He had a tough year last year. I mean, it's with goalies, it's it's hard to know. And I think that there's there should be way more emphasis play, placed on the backup than there is in the NHL. I mean, if I was a GM, I would try really hard to have a good backup because – there are so many times that your starter has a bad year. I mean, look at what happened in Arizona last year with, with what Mike Smith did. They had Dumnick there as an $800,000 backup. He was fantastic. I mean, obviously Arizona had a brutal year, and, and, and he couldn't save their season. But Dumnick went to Minnesota and, and saved their season. So, you yeah. know, I, I think that having a backup that, that can break out like that is is is, is highly valuable. But you know, I think that the, and the other thing too is that the stats on goalies need to get better. I mean, we're still using save percentage, and you know, it's. I, th- I think GMs and and guys like you and I and fans are still having a tough time separating who who the great goalies are from from the average ones. Yeah, well, and and just one last point on this: like you look, um, there. Are, I guess you look at in, in certain teams, and and they play obviously a style that is conducive to being better defensively. Like, look at the Kings and, and all the different goalies that had success there, and yet they gave, you know, Jonathan Quick a 10-year deal for $58 million. Like, you're telling me you couldn't pay, I don't know, Martin Jones X amount less and then use that money on fielding a better team. Like, I just don't know how it makes sense to allocate that much. Uh, Chicago is another good example. Like, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, no. So, no, anyway. it doesn't, so... Okay. Well, I mean, Chicago's had. I mean, look at. We'll see how he does, but I mean, Darling has come out of nowhere and been been was really good last year. You know, Anti Ranta. You know, I think Corey Crawford is one of those guys that you know he's probably a little bit better than average, but is it worth the money? Yeah. Anyway. Okay. One last thing before we go. Uh, I think the Stefan Robidoux situation is really interesting. I wrote about it as best I could last week. Um, it's mysterious in that. I'll go over what I know. Um, he was on the ice every single day of training camp. He played uh, almost 19 minutes in his last exhibition game. I saw him after. I talked to him after. He was fine. Then apparently the next day in Toronto at a morning skate, this is according to Lou Lamorello, he suffered a strain in his knee, which has caused problems in his groin. He has not skated in two weeks. He is on injured reserve. The way I look at this, is it's a very convenient situation for both player and team. Tell me why this matters in in the big picture. Well, it matters because it's kind of an integrity thing. If you sign these contracts to these guys, they're supposed to be taking up a roster spot on your team. I mean, the Leafs wouldn't have been able to claim Frankie Corrado, a, a young defenseman that they feel like can become something, 
wouldn't have been able to claim him on waivers if they had to have Stefan Robida on their roster. Or, you know, if if you want to make the argument that he would be with the AHL, you know, the, the argument there is that are you going to play him in the AHL? Is that going to take away minutes from one of the guys you're trying to develop? And I think that the situation that unfolded here is that Stefan Robida didn't want to go to the AHL to end his career. The Leafs didn't really want him with the Marlies either. So the compromise is, okay, um, we'll, we'll say you're hurt. And he's a guy that's had a lot of injuries. So, you know, I can see how maybe the league is not going to investigate. But you look around the league, I mean, if the, the, the situation could be a lot different. You know, if, if you're dealing, I talked to some people about this, and, you know, if, if you were dealing with uh, a, a, an actual cap team that was competitive, that was a contender, let's say Chicago is is still a contender and, and is spending to the cap in three or four years, when Marianne Hosa's deal is uh, against the cap is, is about $5 million and actual salary is $1 million. And he's not living up to that $5 million deal because he's in his late 30s, and that's what happens to a lot of guys in their late 30s. What if they want to have that kind of relationship, you know, so that, that Marion Hosa goes home, says he's hurt, gets his million bucks to sit at home. The Blackhawks are, are free of, of the deal. They can put it on long-term injured reserve. They can spend to the cap as they wished. And, and there you go. And the reason it's different for a team like in that situation is that the salary matters. You can't send Marion Hosa to the AHL because most of the salary is going to count on the NHL cap. Right. Whereas the Leafs right now, it's like, we don't really care about the salary. So, you know, that's, that's a non-issue for us. But, but they've, they've, I, it feels like they've made this arrangement with Robida out of, some would say, out of respect to the player. It's not unprecedented because there have been some sort of shady situations in the past with Lou Lamorello and, and injured reserve and, and older guys. You know, the only thing is, is that, you know, in talking to Roby Daw at, at, in training camp, it felt like he wanted to keep playing. It felt like he wanted to keep playing hockey. And, you know, maybe this prevents him from going and playing in Switzerland or whatever. I mean, it feels like this is going to be the end of his career and it's going to end under dubious circumstances with him sitting at home. Yeah, I just think it raises questions. Like, I, I don't – it's hard for me to accuse them of doing this because I can't – how can I tell if he's injured? And, right. and it, it gets into a whole messy situation, but they could have avoided this situation. They could have just bought him out in the off season, Like, right. I, And then he wouldn't be in this situation. He could try to get another NHL job. Right. I wonder why they didn't. I wonder why that never happened. They should have bought him out, yeah, yeah. They should have – I mean, if – they should have bought him out. I mean, they should have known, based on how he played last year, that he was going to have a tough time. And, I mean, it, it's about the future, right? I mean, it's about trying to develop some of these guys. They should have known that there was going to be someone on waivers that they'd be interested in on defense or, you know, it's... Or that, just that giving minutes to both him and Polak doesn't make sense for a team yeah. that's in their position. Even and just, Polak, by the way, hasn't looked great either. No, he has not. And it, it feels like they don't really... They aren't that keen on giving him minutes either, but it'll be an uncomfortable situation there if they, they scratch him a lot. I mean, he's the kind of guy that's not going to put up with that, I don't think. So, I don't know. I mean, the, I, I almost wonder in, I mean, they're carrying eight defensemen. I almost wonder if they're looking for some way to trade Polak. I was told around the draft that they had offered him to at least one team. So, Well, and, and I like they haven't played Frankie Corrado. I asked Babcock, and he said he's been thinking about it. He just he doesn't know when. Yeah. Like at Wait, some point you've got to get him in. A D doesn't work. I mean you've been around the league a long time, you've seen it. It just it's no, it's, it's too so hard, hard, right? You know, you you want to get set pairings going, you want guys to get used to playing with each other. 
you can have a seven guy who comes in in case of injury. When you have eight, you have someone that's sitting for a long time. And right now, it's a 22-year-old defenseman they got on waivers who's fairly highly regarded around the league. So they need to try and get him into some minutes. Agreed. We got to go. Time to vote. Right. Yeah. To, well, I've already voted. I've, oh. I, I did advanced voting. Oh, that's very responsible of you. You just didn't want to do it today? No, I remember last time I voted, it took forever. There were long lineups, and I decided that I was just going to advance vote. And when I got to the voting station, the people were, like, asleep. There was, like, there was no one there. So, anyway. All right, we'll go vote, and uh, we'll, we'll try to do this next week again. Okay, sounds good. My heart is a ghost town. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.